Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, everybody. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. All right. Everybody good? All right. Man, isn't it good to baptize people? That's a, that's a win. We'll take it. We're already winning this morning. Hey, uh, here's what I want to do. We're going to be uh, talking about Daniel this morning. This is the second message in a mini-series here at the Vineyard we're calling A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And here is the essence of what we're trying to get at this, uh, this month. We're trying to figure out how do we become the kind of people who can sustain following Jesus our entire lives. That's really what we're trying to get at. I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I want to read you a rather long passage. Is that okay? Out of a book. Uh, the book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. No. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? It's by Eugene Peterson, and I want us to just hear a few words from Pastor Peterson. Eugene Peterson is the guy who wrote The Message. Many of you probably have read that or have that laying around your house somewhere. Here's, uh, here's what he has to say about a long obedience in the same direction. He says, One aspect of the world that I've, come, that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. That's worth reflection. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been flattened by 30-page abridgments. It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. However, it is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but evidence for mature Christian discipleship is very slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, plan their lives around special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth to get a new experience, and somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. The religious life is defined as the latest and the newest. Zen, faith healing, human potential, parapsychology, successful living, choreography, 
And, um, and uh, finally, Armageddon. We'll even go to a conference about Armageddon if it's new. We'll try anything until something else comes along. I don't know what it has been like for other pastors in other cultures in previous centuries, but I'm quite sure for pastors in the Western culture at the dawn of the 21st century, this aspect of the world that makes the work of leading Christians in the way of faith is most difficult is what uh, is something that Gore Vidal has analyzed as today's passion for the immediate and the casual. Everyone's in a hurry. The persons whom I lead in worship, among whom I counsel, visit, pray, preach, teach, they all want shortcuts. The truth is, I want shortcuts. They want me to fill them. They want me to help them fill out the form that will get them instant credit in eternity. They are impatient for results. They have adopted a lifestyle of a tourist and only want the high points. But a pastor is not a tour guide, and I have no interest in telling apocryphal religious stories at and around dubiously identified sacred sites. The Christian life cannot mature under such conditions and in such ways. Frederick Nietzsche, who saw this area of spiritual truth, at least with great clarity, he wrote this, The essential thing in heaven and in earth is this, that there should be a long obedience in the same direction, and thereby results. And has always, this has always resulted in the long run of, of something which has made life worth living. It is this long obedience in the same direction which the mood of our current culture does so much to discourage. That's what this little series is about. It's about, it's about how to live with Jesus our entire lives. It's not about the hundred yard dash with Jesus. It's not about the 200 meters sprint with Jesus. I've told you this before, but I want to say it again. Uh, You can read all four Gospels, and the one thing you'll never, ever see Jesus doing is running. Jesus never runs in the Gospels. Uh, Even when people die, even when somebody is very sick and they come to get Jesus, Jesus will not run. Jesus is not in a hurry. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are the things, what are the ways, what are the rhythms, what are the, what are the virtues that need to be added to our life that we might make the marathon that is the journey with God? Here's, here's what's at the bottom of what I'm feeling right now. How do we journey with Jesus our entire lives? Uh, let's put it another way. How, how do we walk with Jesus for 50, 60 Or even 70 years? How do we walk with Jesus for 80 years? How do we live faithful lives and not just just a collection of a few spectacular moments? How How do we get baptized and equipped and released and then remain focused on Jesus and His kingdom for the rest of our lives? How do we not grow weary? Uh, Is it really possible? Like, is it really, really possible? Has it ever been done before? Are there any guides? Well, I just want to tell you up front. I think it is possible. I think it has been done before. And I'm sure that we have more than a few guides. And we're going to look at another one this morning. We're going to look at Daniel. You guys remember Daniel, right? Read that story? Well, here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to skip like a stone across several chapters in the book of Daniel. And here's your homework for the week. Why don't you read at least the first six chapters of Daniel this week? If not the whole book, read the first six chapters. It's fascinating. It is not boring. It's really good. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to skip like a stone. And then their homework this week is to go back and fill in the blanks.
Because Daniel was somebody who lived his whole life before God. Here's what I want to do just just to give us a little context before we look at a few things this morning. I want to fill in the highlights of Daniel's life. Daniel was taken into captivity at about 15 years old. Here's what that means. Daniel was living as a Jew in Israel, and then the Babylonians came in and they sacked all of Israel and they sacked Jerusalem and they let off the people that they wanted and some of the people that they wanted were the talented and the noble and they took Daniel uh, along with several of his friends and when he was 15 years old he was extracted from his homeland and he was led to a place he had never been a land filled with a language that he didn't speak or know Um, not only that but he was inserted into the king's royal court Because he was going to be trained in the ways of Babylon. That was when he was around 15. When he was around 17, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. You guys remember that? Daniel was a dream interpreter, right? Again, if you don't know this, that's cool. Just go and read it. 15, taken into captivity. 17, standing before the most powerful man in the known world, interpreting his dream. Here's what was surprising to me. When he was 49, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. 17 to 49. Isn't that amazing? When he was 81, he interpreted the handwriting on the wall. You guys remember the weird story about the handwriting on the wall? He was 81 when he interpreted the handwriting on the wall for another king named Belshazzar. Uh, We got a lot of pregnant ladies in the room. I just like to. I would like to throw Belshazzar in the. <laughs> you and your husband talk it over. When he was eighty-three, he was thrown into the lion's den. Y'all remember that story as well, right? That's that's like a VBS special. You you can't graduate from VBS and, and tell you color a lion in a den. When he was eighty-three, he was thrown into the lion's den. Daniel served in at least three different kingdoms. Not only that, but he served for at least four rulers. Four different rulers. Uh, Most Bible scholars think that he served for eight or nine different rulers, but there's only four that are named in the book of Daniel, but there's some gaps in there. We think he probably served about nine. Not only that, but he was found faithful on every single occasion in fact if you were to boil daniel's entire life down to one word the word i would choose is faithful he was faithful to god his entire life and then he was somehow faithful to the men that he served who were pagans by the way he was faithful this means that daniel's life wasn't easy how many of you understand that there would be some natural tension between serving god and being faithful to him, and at the same time being faithful to pagan kings who don't care or acknowledge your God. Daniel was faithful to both his entire life. This means that his life wasn't easy. This also means that he lived most of his life with great tension, which means that if he was able to live faithfully to both in great tension, it means that somehow Daniel developed virtues. He developed guiding principles. He developed tremendous character. Not only that, but Daniel received prophetic dreams. He interpreted dreams. He interpreted visions. Uh, He translated some strange writing. Uh, He gave alarming, hard words 
to powerful men and they accepted them. This is, as I was reviewing the story of Daniel this week, this is the most fascinating part of his story, is that he often interpreted dreams or visions or the handwriting on the wall for the most powerful men in the world. The interpretations were often hard and discouraging and judgmental and final. And those men accepted them every time. Isn't that amazing? It's tremendous grace on his life. Tremendous grace. Not only that, once he went into captivity, he never came out. This is a really important detail as well. Because Daniel's faithfulness wasn't connected to God bailing him out of what, what he and his people wanted most. He went into captivity at 15. He never came out. Some of us, some of us, some of us are doing the math like, you know, I, 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 I'm going to be faithful you know, because I really want out of this. You know, sometimes God doesn't bail us out. The real connection is, is how do we live in the tension? Uh, the, promise, the promise of Scripture and the promise of God is not that there won't be a fire. It's that we won't be consumed. That's, that's the promise of the kingdom. But the arch of his life is summed up in one word, and it's faithful. And so we ask ourselves, well, how? How? I, I think there's a lot of ways, and I think if you were to read the story, you could come back to me with a bunch of ways, but I'm going to give you three this morning. Because that's what pastors do. We do things in three. We do things in three. Um, chapter one. This is in chapter one of Daniel. Uh, the first thing that I want to say is this. We might title it under something called vegetables and water. How do you remain faithful your entire life? Vegetables and water. This is part of it. Chapter one. Verse 8. Let's see if I can find it in my Bible. Is it in here? Oh, there it is. Here's basically what happened. We're mostly going to skip like a stone. I'm not going to read you a ton. I'm going to tell you stories. Okay? So we can just keep this thing going. Daniel's led into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to train these boys up. <clears throat> Make sure they know what's going on. And I want you to feed them from my table. Meaning, these... These kids who are being trained up in the ways of Babylon, these people who are going to serve in my court, I want them to eat from the king's table. And how many of you understand that eating from the king's table means the best food, right? It means the best food and the best wine. Yay. Especially in a world where there is no Kroger and there is no brothers and there is no hardened coffee. You, you, eating from the king's table is like quadruple good. But here's what Daniel says. Verse 8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating food and wine given to them by the king. And so he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Now here's what ends up happening. Daniel says, I don't want the food from the king's table and I don't want the wine from the king's table. Here's all we want. Give us vegetables and give us water. That's all we want. And the chief of staff says, uh-uh, no, I'm no stupid guy. I know what will happen. You guys only eat water and vegetables. You're going to look bad. And when the king sees that you look bad, he's going to kill me because that's how this, this operation works. And Daniel says, no, let's try it out for 10 days. Let's do a 10-day test. You give me and my crew vegetables and water. You give your crew whatever you want. And at the end of the 10 days, you compare us. And if we look worse, we'll get on your program. But if we look better, we get to stay on our program. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his crew looked better 
And so he continued on. This is, I think, a defining moment. I think this is an early incident that was such a key to Daniel's life. He was to be educated. He was to be formed in the ways of Babylon, but he was also to be fed. But he said, no. Daniel accepted the education, but he denied the food. Isn't that interesting? He, he accepted the language studies, but he denied the food. He, expe- he accepted the history, but he denied the water and the wine. He accepted, he accepted the, the, the formation in Babylonian culture, but he denied the king's table. It's a really odd story. Uh, by the way, this is, this is where some Christians get the idea for Daniel fast. I'm going to go on a Daniel fast. I'm not. <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> Some people read this moment as like diet advice. You know? I mean, seriously, they actually do. There's like, there's actually Christian books written about this one verse. I think it's hysterical. I mean, it's not terrible diet advice. Most of us probably could use a little more veg and water. But I think there's actually something else going on here. I think it's the story within this story. Here's here's what I hear, and here's what I read in this story, and why I think it's so important. Vegetables, for me, represent that which is alive. And water represents that which is pure. So at the very beginning of Daniel's life, and this is what's great about him, he makes this call when he's 15. Think about what, what, kind of, what kind of decisions you were making when you were 15. How many, how many of us in here, particularly the guys, how many of us in here, how many guys in the, in the room were making, were making decisions around that which is alive and that which is pure when you were 15? Just going to let that one hang there. See, Daniel and his three friends found, fed themselves on things that were alive And they fed themselves on things that were pure. And at the end of the arranged test, they were different. I think this is a key for endurance. I think this is a key for living your whole life with God. Like, what are we feeding ourselves on? Are we feasting on death? Are we feasting on the meat from the king's table? Are we feasting on the wine for... um, from the world's table, or are we dining on that which is alive and clean? See, here, I swear I want you to know this morning, this isn't just old-fashioned moralizing. See, we need spiritual food for making the journey with Jesus. Oftentimes, oftentimes in the Word of God, uh, there are several metaphors that are applied to food and wine to food and to water. And the metaphor that is most connected to food and to water is almost always the word of God. Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus was the word of God. What we're feasting on matters. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that you can get washed by the by the water of the word. Not only that, but Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We can put that one up. This is a great verse. Paul says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, underline that. 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think there's a couple things going on here. I think there is a connection here in the life of Daniel. It's about what are we feeding ourselves on? I think the first invitation, vegetables and water, is an invitation for you and I to feed ourselves on the Word of God, on the bread that has come down from heaven, on Jesus himself. I think there's a connection here. I also think that there's a connection here from the Apostle Paul. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, to give ourselves to thinking about those things, to feed our heart and to feed our mind with things that are lovely and things that are clean. Finally, In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, says this, The word of God is alive and it's active. Things that are alive, things that are clean. How do you make it for 80 years with God? You change your spiritual diet, that's how. You rearrange the intake. Here's the thing, church. If, if, if we consume what the world consumes, we will, we will turn into them. If we feed ourselves on the very same things. I, I think it's really important in the life of every disciple of Jesus to have a Daniel moment when we say, you know what? These things I can give myself to, but these things I will not consume. The king's table. Things coming from the king's table, I'm, I'm not going to consume that. I'm going to, I'm going to maybe simplify. Uh, by the way, in, in the context of eating from the king's table and choosing water and vegetables, uh, Daniel and his friends not only what, were choosing those things, but they were also they were, they were choosing humble things. They were giving up meat and wine, noble things, and they were choosing water and, and vegetables. These are humble and these are basic things. I think there's something about humility. I think there's something about making choices towards simplicity and humility that actually leads, uh, leads us down a path that could, that could cause us to journey with Jesus for eight, 80 years or more. I, I think there's something about excess, especially in our culture right now. There's something about excess and there's something about grandiosity and there's something about uh, the sparkle and the shine that could actually lead us away from living with Jesus. I think there's something about living a little closer to the ground that could be beneficial. Number two, how do we make it with God for 80 years? Uh, Something we might call gifts and callings. Gifts and callings. I want to pick up just one little moment from Daniel chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. Daniel knew his gifts and he knew his calling. I think this is one of the ways that we make it. Daniel's brought before the king. We need more interpretations here. So here's here's what is written. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought in before me to read the writing and to tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and you'll have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts 
for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. This is the third time in the book of Daniel that Daniel goes about interpreting something. This is the handwriting on the wall scenario. Every single time, the enchanters and the wise men in Babylon couldn't do it. And every single time, Daniel could. He had gifts of interpretation. And he had a calling to serve God by being a translator for what God was doing in a pagan empire. I think one of the ways that Daniel made his life with God, and I think one of the ways that he ran the marathon is that he actually knew what his gifts were, and he knew what he was called to. How many of us in here can say with a positive affirmation that you know what the gifts of God are in your life and you know what you're called to? Anybody? Seriously, let's just try this out here for a minute and let's just be honest. Who here knows what their gifts are and knows what they're called to? I do. Okay, so we're sending it at about 6%. Yeah. Okay, I just want to say pastorally, that's extremely troublesome. Yeah. That's super troublesome. So, here's the next bit of homework for everybody in the room. Uh, you should probably take the next year and figure out what is it that you're gifted in and what are you called to. And then begin to take steps in that direction. For goodness sakes, why would you spend the rest of your life not doing what you're gifted in or what you're called at? Hello. Yeah, I think this is one of the ways that we actually make it with God. There, There is something about being in the sweet spot of what you're gifted in and what you're called to. It actually keeps you journeying on with Jesus. Now, when you hear me say this, what I'm not saying is that there's something easy about knowing what you're gifted in and what you're called to. In fact, here, here's, this has been my experience anyway. Once you know your gifts and callings and begin to walk in it, uh, the, the difficulty in your life will go up. But with the increase in difficulties, there's always, a, there's always an increase in grace. It's about living in your sweet spot. Living in your sweet spot. Daniel knew who he was and what he was called to. Daniel was an interpreter of dreams and visions. He had real gifts of wisdom and counsel. Uh, he was a diplomat. Oftentimes, Daniel's phrasing with the king is so diplomatic. You'll notice it when you read it. And all this culminates in the fact that he was living in his calling. There's, there's just something about being connected to Jesus and the things that you're called to do that keeps you going on the journey. Um, <clears throat> I want to read you another passage. This is, this is out of Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul. Look at what he writes. This is, this is from the message version. I, I just kind of like the phrasing here. Apostle Paul writes this. He says, this is the message that I've, that I've been set apart to proclaim as a preacher, an emissary and teacher. Look at this next phrase. It's also the cause of all this trouble I'm in. (laughs) Then look at this next phrase. But I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. By the way, Paul wrote this in major trouble. (laughs) 
<laughs> shortly before he gets chopped. Not metaphorically. Can we put that passage back up? I just want, you might even want to screenshot that one. How, how was Paul able to keep on going even when he's in prison? How was Paul able to cooperate, at least in his own heart, with being imprisoned? How was he able to not give up on God? How did he, how did he not give in to uh, despondency and depression and despair? Uh, how did he not decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to quit preaching and go back to tent making. How? He knew, he knew what he was called to. That's how. Look, the message that I've been set apart to proclaim as a preacher, my calling, it's why I'm in trouble, but I have no regrets. Yeah, that's how we make it. That's how you make it 80 years with Jesus. You need to know what your gifts and callings are. Because here's the deal, church. You're going to get in trouble either way. (laughs) Trouble's going to find you. You don't have to go looking for it. It will find you. See, Daniel and Paul, they prospered in their soul and they both prospered in a pagan kingdom because they were bold enough to live out the life that God had called them and gifted them to live. I I, I want to say one other word about Daniel living out his gifting and calling. When you read the story of Daniel, one of the things you'll notice is that apparently Daniel didn't lead protest groups. (laughs) Uh, Daniel didn't boycott Disney. Um, He also didn't go giving the king prophetic words without the initiative of God and the invitation of the king. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes people are like, well, I'm called, I'm gifted in the prophetic, so I just need to like give everybody every prophetic thing I think I know and see. Uh, Maybe you don't. Like, Like maybe you need to do about half as much. Maybe you should wait for the initiative of the Spirit or the invitation of the King. And Daniel seemed to wait for both. It's very interesting, isn't it? Um, Daniel also didn't try to start a Jewish coup. He's living in captivity in Babylon. He repeatedly comes up to being either the second or third highest in command over and over again. He's always the smartest guy in the room. He's always the most most anointed guy in the room. He's the one guy in the room who has the spirit of God and the favor of, of the kingdom of heaven upon him. And he never leads a protest group and he never starts a coup and he doesn't prophesy out of turn. What? Which leads me to this. Apparently faithfulness to God and agreement with one's calling actually can be walked out in Babylon. It's possible. Okay, third thing. How do we make it? Things we see from the life of Daniel. We're going to need a life of quiet prayer. Chapter 6, verse 10. This is, this is right before Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Uh, some of the other court officials that hang around the king. This time it's Darius. 
They said, you know what? The only way we're going to get Daniel is if we trap him in his faithfulness. Isn't that an interesting thought? We've got to trap him by his own religion and his own faithfulness. And they went to the king and they said, hey, king, let's do this. For the next 30 days, you make a decree and you sign it into law that, no, that anyone who prays to any god besides you gets thrown into the lion's den. Well, there's one thing that's consistent among kings all the way across the board. When you, when you make an appeal to their ego, they go with it. So he's like, that sounds like a great idea. And he, and he signs that into law. And so it became Babylonian law. Anyone who prays to any god besides the king entered the lion's den because they knew, they knew that Daniel prayed every single day. Law goes into effect. This was Daniel's response. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, comma, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And that before is like 80 years. I think this is the most stunning verse in the whole book of Daniel, actually. For several reasons. Uh, Number one, it's stunning because... Daniel is praying when do so, doing so would get you thrown into the lion's den. And, and by the way, as, 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 in terms of exciting ways to die, I think getting thrown into the lion's den tops my list. Number two, this is stunning because apparently when you're 83, you just don't care anymore. Like there's a law, you know, you're going to, if you pray, you get thrown into the lion's den. 83 year old Daniel's like, whatever, man, I'm praying. You know, it's just, you don't care anymore. It's also stunning because, because there's so much history packed into this verse. Look at the words at the very end, at the very end of this verse that that are written there. Giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Or there's so much history that's, that's lined up into this. Uh, Part of what we're capturing here is that this wasn't a new thing that daniel was doing this is something that he had always done he had always prayed three times a day he had always given thanks to god and then it's also um it's also stunning because apparently daniel was the sort of person who not only prayed but he gave thanks now wait for it while living 70 years in captivity thanks god I'm on your knees for 70 years, three times a day while you live in a foreign land, not at your mom's house, not at your daddy's farm, away from all your cousins, drafted into a job you did not ask for. For 70 years, three times a day, he gets on his knees and he prays and he thanks God. And then the question is always, for what? For what? I, no, I have some ideas, and I'm not even going to share those with you. Why don't you think about that? But I will say this. Prayer is a sustaining force. Prayer is a sustaining force. Listen, guys, we, we probably won't live faithful lives to Jesus without prayer. And in fact, I, I actually don't know anyone who does. If you're not a prayer person, you probably won't make it. Uh, you can get saved. You can, you can get baptized. 
uh, you, it, it won't send you to hell. Like, like if you stop praying, God's not mad at you. Uh, if you, if you never pray another prayer, you're, you won't go to hell. Uh, if you never pray another prayer, like God's not going to be like, well, you know, I've kind of had it with that one. Uh, it, it, he doesn't change his affections toward you. If you never crack your Bible again, uh, God's not throwing a piano out of heaven at you. If you never get on your knees and thank him for anything, if you don't ever put anything in the offering plate, God's not going to like, uh, smote you with with all of his fury those that's just not how he works however there is something on our end though that uh, there is something about prayer that is sustaining there is something about prayer that that connects us to the life of god and and the truth is a uh, lack of prayer may not shove you out of heaven uh, in the in, at the end but it may keep a good deal of heaven away from you in the now that's kind of how it works like there's something about prayer. You you might end up living uh, the next 70 years really like disconnected from the goodness of God. And it's entirely possible that we could live the next 70 or 80 years like mostly unaware. Uh, that's the problem. That's, that's what prayer does. Prayer is always reawakening to the fact that God is with us. Daniel got down three times a day and he thanked God for what? I think he had a list of things. Like even in captivity, there are things to be thankful for. And by the way, uh, Daniel lived in Babylon. What do you think we're living in right now? This is Babylon, y'all. Yeah. Prayer's the engine that makes the whole thing go. One has to wonder what kind of person prays when doing so means getting thrown to the lions. You know the kind of person who prays when doing so gets, means you get thrown to the lions? It's the person who's been praying for 70 years. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's like, well, what, what, what I do, I've been doing, this is what I do. It was the prayer in the peaceful days that prepared him to pray in the, in the night of his testing. Like, see, here's the thing. That's, that's why we pray, church. We, we pray right now. Like, here's the truth. We got all kinds of people here and we'll have a bunch more people come second service. We're all at different spots right now. Uh, you, you've heard it said before, church is kind of like a carousel. Some of us are up and some of us are down, right? That's what's going on right now. Some of us are up, some of us are down. And, and, and we, we just pray because, because that's what we do. We, we, we need connection to God. We need to wake up to the fact that God is with us, but it's prayer during the peaceful days that's where we get the strength to make it through the night of our testing. If you wait to pray until the night of your testing, ah, man, you should definitely pray then too. I recommend it. But the deeper work, it's when there's no pressure. The deeper work is always coming when there's no pressure. It's also worth noting that prayer doesn't mean you won't end up in a lion's den. This is a part of the, the narrative that we've got to tell the truth on. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't go to the lion's den. Uh, being a faithful person doesn't mean you won't go to the lion's den. Helping out the king with prophetic words and prophetic vision doesn't mean you won't go to the lion's den. Uh, being a valuable interpreter to those in power doesn't mean you won't go to the lion's den. Praying three times a day for 75 years doesn't mean you won't go to the lion's den. There's nothing that we can do as Christians to keep the pain away. But praying for 75 years does mean you won't be on the menu. 
doesn't mean you won't go to the lion's den. It just means you won't be on the menu. Prayer doesn't save us from difficulty. But it does form us for it. I think this is really important. Because one of the things that, that I'm hearing more and more right now, uh, especially in the American church, is there are these streams, and they're very much alive in some of the things that we have connection to. There are these streams of theology and streams of thought that basically say, you know, if you, if you do the spiritual dominoes just right, then you won't have any difficulty. If you bind the powers, if you do spiritual warfare, if you break the power, if you plead the blood of Jesus, if you cast all the devils out, if you get inner healed, if you go to all the conferences, if you get Heidi Baker to touch you, if you get shamanized by somebody, if you, if you sign up for three schools of ministry, if you, if you, if you, if you give to this, if you'll sow a seed, then, then no bad things will happen to you. And here's what I want to tell you. That's garbage, dude. Like, it ain't going to happen, man. Like, Jesus was the most faithful person in the world, and it got him nailed to the cross. Not only that, but every single one of his disciples got the same business coming to them. Uh, Daniel was faithful his entire life, and when he was 83 years old, he got tossed into the lion's den. Prayer and faithfulness to God doesn't save you from difficulty. It just means we don't have to be on the menu when difficulty shows up. It forms us for it. it. It forms us into the kind of people who can, who can stand up under the pressure of the dark night of testing. And by the way, we're going to get the dark night of testing anyway. So if you don't pray or whether you do pray, you're, we're all going to get it because the world has all kinds of stuff in it. And nobody, nobody gets to determine what happens. There's, there's just all kinds of things in the world. Like evil is afoot in the world. Uh, there are things that we can control and there are things that we can't control. And oftentimes what we do is we focus way too much on what we cannot control. We focus way too much on what we cannot control. Uh, the, the, the things that just happen, uh, I call it spiritual weather. You, you understand that nobody can control the weather, right? Like you can plan your wedding and it may, the sun may shine or it may come a downpour. There's no controlling the weather. The weather just happens. It's the same thing in your life. There are spiritual forces at play. There are, there are cataclysmic events that happen in the heavenlies. There, are, there is weather that just happens and nobody can, nobody can control it. And sometimes we become despondent and discouraged about all the things we cannot control. And in doing so, we overlook some of the very basic things we can control. The very things that Daniel embodies in his own life. What are they? Showing up. Showing up every day. Working your butt off every single day. Praying. Oh my gosh, praying. That's something we can control. And how do you understand if you start to take control over the things that you can take control over, when you get inserted into the things you cannot take control over, you can, you can get through it. You can get through it. You don't have to die. You don't have to be on the menu. You can go to the lion's den and come out. And by the way, that whole lion's den thing, it's a, pre, it's a pre-Jesus picture of resurrection. Because it says they, put the, they rolled the stone over it over the mouth of the lion's den, and in the morning they roll the stone away and he's still alive. It's resurrection. How do you do it? This is how you go on with God. You begin to take ownership over the things you can control. Showing up, working hard, being a person of prayer, serving those around you without complaint, 
being being a being a uh, being being an encouragement and a and a source of strength even to people who may not know God being an interpreter and a translator of the things of heaven for people who don't know or value God those are things we can control and they prepare us for the moments when life brings us things we cannot control amen this is the story of Daniel this is how you last for 80 years how do you last for 80 years how do you last for 80 years feed yourself Feed yourself on things that are alive and things that are pure. How do you last for 80 years with God? Feed yourself on things that are alive and things that are pure. How do you last for 80 years? You discover your gifts and callings and you actually live in them. Live them out. Do the things you're called to do. And finally, live a life of prayer, church. Start to pray. Start to pray. I think it's instructive that Daniel had a place for prayer and a time for prayer. An upper room. I, we, you need a place to pray. I have a place to pray. It's called my office. I hardly ever pray at home. I couldn't pray at my house if I wanted to. Have you met my youngest son? Yeah. Amen? Hey, if you're on, uh, if you're on ministry team this morning, come on up. Come on up. Come on down. This is the price is right. And why, uh, why don't we do this? Everybody else, you can stand up and we're just going to pray here for a second. When I'm finished praying, if you need to respond to this morning's message or you just need prayer, if you're sick in your body or you're having a hard time in life, we have two lovely assistants who know how to pray. This is amazing. They're like gurus. <laughs> If you need to be shamanized. (laughs) Hey, let's do this this morning. Let's just put our hands out like this. Let's pray. God, we just love you. Um, Father, as a church, we just say we want to be a church. And we want to be people who walk with you our entire lives. God, we ask that at the end of our days, that the word spoken over us would be faithful. God, we ask even now that you'd uh, show us places where we are accepting too much from the king's table, where we're accepting too much from the world's table. God, we ask that you would give us an appetite for things that are clean and things that are alive. God, we also ask that you would show us our gifts and callings. God, we ask that you would give us boldness and confidence in our gifts and callings that you would confirm them, that you would speak them to us. And then finally, God, we ask that you would give us grace to pray. Not just when we're about to be thrown to the lions, but God, on the days that we're a million miles away from any lion's den, when it's 75 degrees, sunny, and all the kids are good, we ask that you would give us the impulse to pray. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who never ran anywhere. Amen. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.